0: So this week, I have finally made some of your dreams come true. After like the second week of the show, I was getting requests to have a rock climber on, which I thought was pretty cool because honestly, I love that I have rock climbers in the audience. Besides my friend Samantha, who I have to thank up front for helping me with the background and the lingo for the show because I am not a climber. And because I'm not a climber and it's not my sport, it actually took me a while to bring you a climber for this show. I tried and I'd strike out and I'd call someone else and I'd strike out. And then finally, I was talking to Shannon O'Grady of Gnarly Nutrition, which incidentally is a great source of protein powders and collagen and powdered greens for anyone looking for those products. Gnarly Nutrition is a great source. I was talking to her about those products and she tells me, well, I have friends that are climbers because she's a climber. And I'm like, great. And she introduces me to legendary climber, Nancy Fagan. And well, my head just exploded because Nancy is indeed a legend. She has been in movies and documentaries and has literally done it all. Ice climbing, traditional climbing, sport climbing, bouldering, mountaineering, including summiting Everest in 2001 as the 11th American woman. She was also one of two in the first all-female team to climb the nose of El Capitan in Yosemite National Park in one day, and she climbed her first 514 sport climb at the age of 52. She had just returned from a weekend away climbing when we recorded this, and she tells me she hopes to climb for the rest of her life. She's also a mom of a 15-year-old son and a bit of a self-described introvert. So when we were talking, she suggested that her friend and fellow badass climber Maggie Odette could join us. And I thought, I've just hit the climbing lottery. I have not just one, but two amazing climbers. Maggie first started climbing in 1998. And at the time, the difficulty grade of 512 was the holy grail for sport climbers. And she thought there's no way she would ever get there. And it took her 10 years to prove herself wrong but she still has not stopped plowing ahead and working to better her skills and improve her performance since. She red-pointed a 5'13 at 39 years of age and a 5'14 at 44. She climbed her two hardest routes to date at ages 49 and 50. Now at 51... She tells me she's fascinated by the strange changes presenting in her body and sees them as an interesting additional challenge in her sport. Yeah, those are her exact words, not mine. You can learn more about her exploits at gravitychronicles.com. I recommend checking that out. It was a real treat to have them both on the show. They were so open and honest and funny. And even if you know nothing at all about climbing or anything about 514s or 511s, we explain all that in the show. So don't worry if you got lost in the lingo. I make sure we explain it in the conversation because I didn't know it either. Even if you know nothing about any of that, I promise you, you'll still get some great takeaways from this conversation. Okay, so this is my little weekly reminder to check out our social media channels. You can find our communities of like-minded women at Feisty Menopause on both Instagram and Facebook. We have a private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook channel where you can come in and join our community and just have a conversation with us. And if you want to deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we've got our Feisty Menopause Membership where we offer monthly in-depth materials, expert webinars, and offer sponsor discounts. So come on in and check it out. As always, thank you, thank you, thank you for all the love you've been showing the show. It's amazing. It's working. I so appreciate it. So continue, please, to follow us on your podcast platforms, share this show on your socials, Hit those five stars or hearts or however your platform lets you rate and review. I see it. It's working. It's amazing. Thank you. Okay. Truly, enough of me for now. Let's have a quick word from my awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Hit play, not pause is proud to be sponsored by Noon Hydration in 2021. I have been a huge fan of Noon for well over a decade. They have products for immunity, recovery, getting a good night's rest, and I absolutely swear by their podium series, which include branched-chain amino acids that are super important for women during and after menopause. So show your support and head over to NoonLife.com. That's Noon, N-U-U-N, life, one word. And use the code feisty menopause again, one word, with a capital F and a capital M, For 30%, yes, 30% off of all of Noon's amazing products. Again, NoonLife.com, use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE with a capital F and a capital M and get 30% off of anything you want. Check it out. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need and track my recovery, sleep and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out of whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science based, trackable action plan on how to live age and perform better inside tracker is simpler cheaper and more convenient than traditional blood tests and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin d my favorite part they don't just give you data they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feisty menopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash feisty menopause. I can tell you it works. i am really i am really excited to talk to you guys i'm really stoked that you uh <laughs> that you agreed i'm rarely it's starstruck true. but can i tell you i'm kind of starstruck like i like you guys are legendary it's kind of cool well nancy's a legend <laughs> I'm
1: <just> hanging out <laughs> <laughs> well we're pretty passionate about it but yeah. i really appreciate being asked to be on on this as well yeah. Well, thank you.
0: So I do want to get the ball rolling. Like I told you in our intro, you know, we have a fair number of rock climbers in the audience, which I thought was, was, was pretty cool. And they've been requesting like, we need to, you need to talk to a rock climber because it is a very unique activity, right? It's, it's very different from endurance or power. Like a lot of the things that I speak about, whether it be CrossFit or whether it be, you know, a lot of triathletes and ultra runners in the crowd. And, um, you know, I, I, for those who are not climbers, however, I want to make sure that you know we all get on the same page. And so forgive me, but I'm going to go to those places <laughs> like the mainstream of what people know now. So everybody has is probably aware of like the Al- Alex Honnells, right? Like free solo up El Capitan. You know, maybe they've seen the Dawn Wall with you know Tommy Cal- Caldwell and Kevin Jorgensen sitting on the portal edge, and you know all that. Or, or maybe they've even seen cliffhanger or some of the really you know mission impossible too. I I'm thought yeah.
2: We'll stick with those first two. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I've heard. You know, I'm not sure if they've seen Beyond Gravity. Nancy mm-hmm. has been in a movie herself, uh, which is pretty cool. But let's start it off. Let's let's talk in those in that framework of people, what people know, what kind of climbing that you both do. So Nancy since you're top left, why don't you kick it off? Okay.
1: Okay. Well, my all-time favorite type of climbing is the El Capitan big wall type of thing that those people, um, Alex Honnold and Tommy Caldwell do. I, I of course, like the ropes. Um, I like being roped up and being safe. But uh, since my son was born 20 years ago, the practicality of actually going out and doing big wall climbing all the time is it's just not happening anymore. So I've really gravitated toward doing shorter one pitch climbs that I can do in a day's drive from my house in Salt Lake city. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I love the gymnastics aspect of it. I love the training. I love, I love how it makes me feel and the fitness that it requires me to have to accomplish the goals. Yeah. So that's the main type I do now is single pitch sport climbing. It's quite safe. Um the gear's already in the rock. We go up with ropes and we're down in down from the wall in 15 minutes to well five minutes to an hour later depending on <laughs> depending <laughs> okay, on the say. But it, it's it's a, a generally a short outing whereas the big wall climbing that I used to do could be 24 hours or multi-day.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And Maggie?
2: Uh, I am pretty exclusively a sport climber, the kind of climbing that Nancy is describing. I've done a little bit of some other kinds of climbing over the years, but sport climbing is really where I've settled. Um, so again, like Nancy said, we're, we're, we're clipping our, prote- our protection is something called a quick draw. That's a, a fabric sling with a carabiner on either end. And we're clipping that into a bolt that's anchored into the rock with a concrete anchor. So Mm -hmm. we're basically trusting our safety primary, the primary piece of protection that bolt is something that's used in construction that we trust to keep roofs over our heads and walls from not coming tumbling down on us during earthquakes. And it's, it's on the safety scale, as far as climbing is concerned, we're on like the very low level risk kind of a discipline.
0: And those are already established. You are not putting them in as you go.
2: You know, we have, I I, I have put them in. Well, I shouldn't say that. My husband has put them in as we've gone. He's done a lot of route development. So, I mean, I've climbed on a lot of routes that are brand new and so forth, but most of the time we're climbing on established routes um, that other people have put those in. They're there. They're, I want to say permanent, but technically they're not they can corrode over time and they need to be replaced eventually and there's um but for the most part they're considered to be permanent anchors
0: gotcha gotcha yeah okay so we have established do we of you do either of you boulder before we get to the yeah. yeah yeah so is that part of your training or is that sort of a separate or is it both like bouldering explain the difference between climbing and bouldering
2: Nance, you want it? <laughs>
1: sure. So bouldering is climbing very short pieces of rock um, without a rope. And I probably boulder once a week in the climbing gym in the winter. And it's great to do sh- shorter, problem. we call them problems, maybe five to eight moves and really work on just one hard move, be dynamic. And then you get down and you rest and you you try to not only work on your power, but also your technique and little tiny little subtle things like moving your hip one inch to the left will help you, you know, jump farther to get the hold. Um, but I do boulder a lot. It's and I like it, but I don't go outside very much to do it. Um, just I yeah, no, I don't sure. like it as much as the roped climbing.
0: Anything Mag- to add to that, Maggie, or is that about?
2: Yeah. Um, My, we, I always say we, because I, my husband is my climbing partner and we're together pretty much 24 seven, but we, um, boulder as training, you know, I enjoy it, but being not a teenager or someone in my twenties, um, power, as you well know, is, is kind of like on the weaker side of things. So bouldering is what I think of as like the climbing equivalent of sprinting. You know, it's it's shorter uh, a shorter distance, more distilled intensity within that shorter distance. A lot of times you're doing, Nancy said five to eight moves. A lot of times you're doing five to eight limit moves, meaning the hardest moves you could possibly do under any circumstances whatsoever. So it really does. If you're a sport climber like we are, it bouldering really does fall into the category of power training.
0: Gotcha. 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 So it's So it's you would really do power important. training to boulder or do you do boulder training for power or both?
2: Bouldering as power training.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Got that groundwork we're on the wall. So <laughs> let's let's dive straight into the menopause talk, which is which is so funny. Cause when I reached out to you, you were both like, Well, we don't want to be full menopause posers, which I love. So it's just like, because you're not you're not post-menopause yet. And I'm like, that's perfect. Uh, the show, as everybody knows, is for people who like think maybe this hot flash is the start of something. You know, it's for it's for all of us. So uh, let's talk a little bit about where you are in that sort of symptomology of of the hormonal changes that lead into menopause and then we'll talk about like how it's affecting everything so um maggie what are you experiencing now
2: uh uh, uh hot <laughs> <flashes>. <laughs> hot, hot. like really hot hot flashes <laughs> like woo, hot flashes <laughs> yeah um that's the primary thing for me um, and it's weird. Cause like I was thinking about it. I was like, it's so funny. We're doing this podcast this week and this week I've had like maybe three hot flashes total, but last week I had like three every evening. Wow. So, so it's like not <laughs> consistent at all. That's how it is. Yeah, <laughs> and, that's how- yeah. Yeah. That and, um, a little bit of the sleep stuff, though. You know, waking up in the middle of the night every time I wake up, I have to pee. Like, I can't like wake up and just go back to sleep. There's no way. So annoying. To <laughs> um, and then kind of the other obvious, like the having a harder time getting and maintaining like what I consider to be a real good fitness level. Um, body composition has definitely changed. um, mm-hmm yeah Yeah. that stuff
0: nancy
1: for me um i i had some night sweats a few years back but i don't really have those anymore my most pressing issue is that i don't sleep all the way through the night regularly i spend a lot of nights between three and five or two and four where i'm just kind of awake Mm -hmm. and it's it's really hard it's you know, you translate translate that to being an athlete. It's hard to wake up and be like, I'm going to go hard today when you're just so groggy and sleep deprived. It's that's tough. But, um, some of my, my other symptoms, I feel like it takes me a lot longer to recover from hard climbing sessions. I, I have to be super diligent about my nutrition and fueling after I do hard workouts and hard days. Um, and I'm just I'm also less powerful. I I have to really try to train more specifically my power, which is not very easy for me. Um, yeah, that's my yeah.
0: Let's, ta- let's talk about that one first. I mean all of these are really important, but the one that I hear honestly from every athlete um about is that power to weight, you know, is is the body composition stuff. And some sports so it's more forgiving of it, right? You know, I work with some track racers on on their bikes and it you know, that they, 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 they can really compensate for it in many ways, but it's harder when you're hanging on a wall, you know, or when you, when you're doing like that. And, and also with, with estrogen, you know, decline, as I've learned, contractile strength and grip strength can actually decrease. I mean, those are both things that can happen with the decline of estrogen, which helps regulate uh, muscle synthesis and, and, and also contraction strength. So, what have you done in your training to, I mean, I know it's difficult, but to help mitigate some of this and to help, you know, maintain some of that power as you can. Either of you can start. Anybody? Um, Are you looking for to uh, answers? <laughs> I'm
2: like, I'm no. that was be. <laughs> I think maybe... I should probably go first because I think Nancy does a lot more actual training than I do. Um, because sure. of my lifestyle, I climb outside three days a week. Um, mm-hmm. and my husband and I live in a trailer right now, parked on public right, land. You're in a
0: van car. right now. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I don't, we're actually I don't have living a... the dirt bag climbing life, right? As they Except say. we're
2: not dirt bags, yeah. but you well, know, I, I didn't mean to offend <laughs> you.
0: That's what my, my no, no, it's, said that was it's a, thing. Jo- <laughs> it's
2: a joke amongst us, but, okay. Um, We, uh, so I don't really, I don't really have a gym that I go to. I don't generally have access to that. We have a tower. We've built like a, uh, uh, conduit tripod that has a pull-up bar on it. They're, they're kind of common amongst climbers who live on the road these days. So we have a pull-up bar. We have some, uh, hang hanging stuff. We can attach to it for training. Um, honestly, I don't really do that when we're climbing consistently. Um, will just come at like the end of a climbing day and maybe do some big muscle stuff, like some fast pull-ups or, mm-hmm. um, but, but one thing, um, training wise that both Nancy and I have kind of keyed into in the last year or so is blood flow restriction training. Mm. And I find that climbing full time. That's, um, at, at, at times has been the one thing that's been a little bit easier, to do because it's not as much stress on the body. Um, you don't have to put as much out to get uh, the same amount back Mm -hmm. out of it. Um, so we've both done a little bit of that. I know also it helps with growth hormone, protein synthesis, um, so helping to slow or reduce, uh, the loss of muscle mass. Mm -hmm.
0: Does Um, it help with the pump? too? I like that. I imagine that you get some of the pump as a climber. Which, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because you've got the, the lactate and the um, hydrogen buildup that you, that you create while you're in the occlusion phase. Um,
0: Can you describe what that is for our listeners who might not know? what? what
2: yeah. So blood the, flow restriction training. Yeah. There are these cuffs that uh, you put around your upper arm, uh, just above the bicep, below the deltoid muscles, um, kind of that divot where it can you can tighten it around the bone. And, and you, you basically, you put this cuff on and then you inflate it. There's a pump you blow it up with to inflate. And you actually, with some brands, you can actually measure the pressure that you're inflating them to. And that's the best kind to have because you want it to be controlled. Um, and then- so as you inflate this, it cu- basically cuts off the blood flow to your arms. You can do it. They make them for legs, too. So mm-hmm. I would imagine that cyclists would really get something out of that, too. Um, so when you're you're cutting off the blood flow to your arms, so you're basically forcing your muscles to work in a metabolically anaerobic phase you're skipping that aerobic phase and going right away to fast twitch muscle essentially Mm -hmm, mm so that's why it's so good for power training Um, but you also are then working out at like 15 to 30 percent of your maximum load
0: right right you're
2: not getting the same amount of tissue stress that you would if you were doing heavy exercise
0: Right, right. Interesting. It feels like
2: you're you're dying right. while you're doing it. I'm sure, <laughs> but but afterwards you don't feel half as bad as you would had you done the exercise at full load without the blood restriction.
0: And Nancy, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I've used the blood blood
1: flow restriction cuffs for the last two years, and I I sort of just dabble with them, but I feel like they are really helpful uh, for my training now and then, and when I travel. Because you can get a, a great workout and then you recover fast. They were right. originally like they're targeted more perhaps for injured people. But in a way, I feel like us older people are <laughs> injured <laughs> people fair. in a way. You know, I mean, it, you just <laughs> you recover so much faster. So I've had some great success with that as well.
0: Do they come? Cause I, I'm familiar with this. I've not tried it myself too. And it sounds like you might be able to mess it up in a way that could be not good for you. Um, do they come with instructions that would prevent you from cutting off circulation and losing like a limb? I mean, not that, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, that's extreme <laughs> they, of course, but I mean, it does do. seem like you could get in a little trouble.
2: Yeah. They give guidelines for pressure levels. Um, and most of the time when you're buying them. It's because you're interested. And I mean, like I did a ton of research before I bothered to buy them. Um, And then I actually went to uh, a PT who is a climbing trainer in Salt Lake, who Nancy knows as well, Dr. Tyler Nelson, who's kind of an expert on the whole deal and had him walk me through how to use them, what I should be inflating them to, um, what kind of load to use during the exercises, all of that stuff. So, I mean, uh, some level of supervision is definitely advisable. Um, there's a lot more information on the internet than there used to be. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: a lot of it though, is geared towards weightlifters. A lot of
0: muscle guys. And, yeah. You know, yeah. Into it. Uh, yeah. Men's health was but, all over yeah, it for a while.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're used in PT a lot though, too. I mean, um, mm-hmm. the best information I've gotten from them is actually a podcast, um, the uh, sports medicine podcast and a guy named Ben Weatherford um, who is with the, he uh, is in Texas and it's a talk he was giving at a university at I think Texas A&M maybe, I don't know. Uh, but he's kind of a pro educator on the subject but more to do with um, rehab for veterans. Interesting. Um, and they, they use these a lot to try to prevent delayed amputation because strength is always the missing piece um, in the rehab. Mobility is great, but strength is so hard to achieve when you can't work with a heavy load. The BFR right. a- allows them to get the similar results they would with a heavy load without having to put these injured people under loads that they can't handle.
0: Wow, that is that is interesting. Are there other um... Maggie, you mentioned that Nancy trains differently than you do. How, is there anything else that you've added, Nancy, to your training specifically?
1: Yeah, there is. But at first, I want to finish up with the BFR. And I, I oh, do feel like it would be possible to get in trouble if you just bought a pair off the internet and just started going wild. And I know I got mine from Tyler Nelson and his the same person that Maggie did. And he trained me on how to use them and has been great about giving me different protocols but he has a business called camp for human performance and it's, um, on the internet at C4 HP. But I think maybe okay. we could put that in the show notes or something because he, he definitely works with people around the world with, with this. And I think if people are intrigued by this, I, I, Definitely don't think they should just go out and buy them and
0: start. Waiting. I don't either.
1: <laughs> no, no. And Tyler's a research
0: genius. Yeah. He's, so like...
1: he's, yeah. he's amazing. So I, I just, yeah. yeah. Tyler Nelson with camp for human performance. He's kind Definitely of the, we'll the go-to the guy. Show notes. Yeah. Okay. So, but back to, to power and specific things I do. I I try to boulder once a week and I do my best to find people to boulder with because it's really... A lot better for if you're motivated and you're with people that are pushing you um because for me it takes like a, a higher a much higher level of intensity than the endurance climbing that i normally do i'm just an endurance mm-hmm. person and i can go out and go for a long time but the power to muster up that oomph, it's really important for me to find people and if i don't find people and i'm not super motivated sometimes i'll just pick a climbing route, a rope route and, and do moves that are at my limit. So just pick, Oh, I can't do those three moves and I'll work on those few moves. So that's mm-hmm. another way I, I work on my power. And then something that our friend Tyler Nelson also suggested is what he calls high volume uh, power pull-ups. And what I do is I, I hang on a hangboard, a, a fingerboard, but you could do it as you can do it just with a, with a pull-up bar. Mm-hmm. And I have to stand in a bungee because <laughs> I, but I, you do like eight of them really fast, but, but it's, okay. it's fast up. And then I, I step off cause I have some elbow problems, but I, I, I step down and then fast up as fast as you can go. And then I rest. That, so that's one set. And I'm, and then I rest for a couple minutes, and then I do it again, and I do it eight times. I, I built up to eight times. I didn't start. I started off with like four, right. four, four times. And that um, trying to do pull ups really fast for me is a great kind of power training. Yeah,
2: I do that high velocity stuff too.
1: Yeah,
2: um, and that's usually at the end of a climbing day for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also plyometrics. I I I'm a big fan of plyometrics.
0: Box jumps, that kind of, um,
2: Um, just like, I don't have a box. So just like jumping squats, um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. plyometric pull-ups and push-ups. just like those three make a difference for me.
0: Yeah, no, that everything you're saying is actually right along with the, you'll be happy to know the menopausal research that shows that, (laughs) um, plyometric high velocity and those power things are very important to, to, to pick up where the estrogen is leaving off essentially is the easiest way to put it.
2: Yeah. It seems like they're kind of like for anyone who needs power, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like the the recipe doesn't change, but like you start paying more attention because your body forces you to.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You used to have these hormones that helped out a little bit more and now now not not as much. Nancy, are you doing anything specifically with the I don't know if you listened to the sleep episode with uh, Dr. (laughs) Sophie Bostock, who ended up being helicoptered off a wall because she made some dumb decisions after not being well slept. Um, You know, uh, she was she's also a little a little more novice of a climber. But I mean, it's real, right? Like your thought your sleep making decisions when you're not in a good Mm -hmm. sleep state is is sometimes not a good idea. Have you found anything to help with your sleep or are you still just searching?
1: Well, I, I do almost everything that she suggests. You know, I try to go to sleep at the same time. I try to, every day I try to wake up at the same time. I do some breathing exercises when I wake up, if I wake up and then I do, um, I drink a magnesium drink at night and that seems to help. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, yeah, I have a, I make sure I put my cell phone away about an hour before I go to bed because I can, I can get work emails late at night that like, just kind of like uh, wake me up and charge me for a while. So I definitely put my cell phone away a good hour before I go to sleep.
0: Yeah. And before we leave the whole menopause symptomology, Maggie, do the hot flashes ever come when you're climbing?
2: Um, No, no, they don't.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah, and I don't, that's, I hadn't really... A lot of people, some women get them when they exercise, some Uh, don't. And I was just like, that seems to me it could be problematic uh, to happen.
2: Yeah, so I, we... I have a friend who's actually quite a bit older and has been through the whole deal and is done with it now. And she was telling me that she said, don't worry about the hot flashes. They'll only come while you're shaking out and resting on route. And I was like, what? (laughs) So we're climbing along and then you get to some big holds and you hang out and you try to like de-pump your arms and you're shaking back and forth, left to, you know, you hold the hold, you drop one hand and shake it, you grab it again and then drop the other hand and shake it. And you're trying to get active recovery in the middle of the whole thing. And she's telling me that when this happens, I'll probably get a hot flash. And I was like, well, no, I don't want that. <laughs> I'd rather not. Thank you. Happened to me that way.
0: But at yeah. least now you know yeah, what you'll hasn't. do if, you know, like you'll know just to hang out maybe <laughs> <laughs> for, 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 a, for a little bit longer. I'll start um.
2: stripping <laughs> while I'm on route. <laughs> down.
0: <laughs> well, no. yeah, it's that's you. You could. that It's funny when I talked to uh, Magda Boulet, who is the ultra runner that I interviewed her for the podcast, and she ran into a lot of trouble with the thermal regulation. You know, because she's running um. hundred milers in like Ludville, right? And yeah. you know, she's like, it's not something I used to have to think about, but she would get a hot flash and then just be freezing. You yeah, know, and. She's just like, she's like, so I'm stripping off all my clothes and then I'm, you know, running to find my clothes. And, you know, it was, oh, it, it, no. yeah, she had to. Uh, it was just another layer of preparation that she just had to think about that she yeah. had never had to plan for before.
2: Well, we I mean we're lucky we're in this situation where most of the time, if something's really not comfortable, we just come down
0: <laughs> from wherever we are. <laughs> not, it's like, not okay, lower me. 75 I'll miles next, into next, a run.
2: <laughs> no, next try, yeah. you know. <laughs> so,
1: I, I do think I bring more layers to go climbing than I used to. I think oh, my, yeah. my regulation is not nearly as good as it used to be.
0: Mine is not either. It is very annoying. On a bike, you know, I'm constantly yeah. zipping and unzipping and, um, that is yeah. that is oh. a little bit annoying. But
2: yeah, no, I have one of everything, no matter what the weather forecast is now. You know, like sports bra, tank top, short sleeve, long sleeve, heavy long sleeve, please, down jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have <Yep.
0: laughs>
1: all
2: <the bases> covered.
0: <laughs> so let's move into fear. Uh the fear factor. Uh I'm curious how, how climbing has or has not changed at this point. And we're focusing on this, on the climbing that we're talking about rather than like the mountaineering. Like Nancy, I know you, your legendary, your Everstein story of sort of getting to the top of Everest after almost dying is, 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 is something in and of itself. But you know, climbing, even if climbing you don't consider it a high risk activity it can be a high consequence activity right um
1: definitely absolutely yeah, yeah.
0: and you, you're both i've been imagine, in this world long enough to have seen some dire consequences you know to see friends maybe you not know? yeah. yeah i mean it it the longer you're in sports like this i mean cycling is same way you know we we, we lose mm-hmm. people um i i've picked up some old articles and you know some of them were from the 90s you know so <laughs> like it's amazing the internet's a wonderful place I. Uh, You know, Nancy, you were talking about when your son was born at the time he was four and now he's 15, you know, you would sort of change some of your climbing then, which, which makes a lot of sense. But I also read this piece in the Christian Science Monitor that talked about how you thought about fear when you're like 2000 feet off the ground and, you know, breaking it down from rational fears to irrational fears, asking yourself questions about your fear. I'd love to have you just like at this point talk about cuz cuz the weird thing about menopause and the the brain cuz it changes your brain chemistry a little bit too is as, as the hormones fluctuate and a lot of women talk about like why am i more fearful now i mean that comes up on my forums an awful lot with mountain bikers that like stuff that they never thought twice about going down a hill you know like doing runs skiers all of a sudden they're just like thinking more they're in their heads a little bit more so i'd love to hear both of you but I'll start with you Nancy since I just
1: okay yeah I feel like the level of risk that I'm willing to accept has just decreased every year since I was 40 basically and I just try to manage it the best I can and like we're talking about sport climbing which is for the most part safe and especially the kind of climbing that Maggie and I are doing we will pick one route that we do for a month or two or three at a time. And so we really know like which parts are absolutely like, or there's no chance of getting hurt. Or like if you blew the clip here, you might get hurt. So we really know our, our routes well, and we know which part is safe and not safe, but saying that there's times when I go to my project climb and I don't have the oomph, the, I'm, it's a scared day for me. And I, at this point, I just try to be kind to myself. It's like, you know what, I don't have the go for it. Like, that's where you have to punch it. And I don't have it today. And I, I'll just either do some finagling with a rope and get the rope up above me. So we do what's called a top rope, or I'll just say, you know what, I'll try that move tomorrow or the next time I come. So I've really- So is
0: that like taking a beeline? I don't really understand what you call the top rope. Like, So th- so there's something that yeah. might be really tricky, but you have an alternate way to get around that tricky yeah, spot. Yeah, exactly.
1: Sometimes you can climb around on a different route or sometimes you can use a pole. We call it a stick clip to put the rope up above us so we don't fall. Okay. So I guess I, I'm i not inter- as interested in be- doing dangerous things. And part of it is the firsthand knowledge of people that have gotten hurt doing silly little things or things where they like how in the world did you get hurt there? And they did. Or, and part of it is, is my hormone level that I just don't have the gur on that particular day as, and definitely not as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of it. And then I think something that's really important for me is the visualization that I do. And I, Mm -hmm. I think when I come home at night or different times when I'm not actually at the crag, I'll visualize through this project route, my goal route. And I'll, I'll go through the parts that especially the parts where I am scared, because sometimes you have to go climb a long ways or farther than I'm comfortable between those quick draws that we clip. And so I'll visualize not only the moves, but what I'm thinking, you know, like, okay, mm. I, I get past the hand, the undercling hold, and then I have to jump and I'm going to tell myself, you know, I've got this or you know, to push with my legs or to get my hip in, or you know, maybe it's some specific technical thing, or maybe I'll just visualize. You know, I'm br- the way I'm breathing through a scary part for me.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think anyone who does any sort of scary sport can, wherever they are, can can relate to what you're saying as far as the visualization and and going through that. And do you do you find that then you get on the wall and you that that becomes a little more automatic. Oh
1: yeah. It's hugely helpful yeah. for me. And not only that, so the, the routes that these sport routes there, by the time we actually do them, we start, we have pretty much every move memorized. You know, I can tell you this route, this 514 I did last summer. I can probably right now go through all 52 moves with you. If, wow. But, but I, when I visualize, <laughs> I also visualize doing, having problems or you know having oh your foot slips and you think you're almost mm-hmm. off and then you, you like somehow you reel it in because sometimes recovering from a bobble like that is is really hard so I visualize not only doing it perfectly and feeling good but I visualize oh the conditions are bad my hands are sweaty or or my foot slips or you know there's you know there' are dogs barking or there's you know just some sort of chaos. yeah so I, so I try to visualize the challenging, sections as well or or the less than perfect climbs
0: right wow I love that I love that so so Maggie I'd I'd like to hear your your thoughts too and and also so correct me if I'm wrong but from what I what I was reading you didn't sort of go all in professionally until about 37 are you late 30s is that correct
2: that's like yeah I mean that's when I started trying hard yeah, okay, that's fair. When, I, <laughs> that's when fair. I, well, when I decided that climbing was what I wanted to do, because I, I started climbing when I was 28, and most of my, I, I actually was a runner. I ran from seven to 37, and I, I raced mountain bikes <laughs> and a marathon and did stupid, not stupid. I don't want to say that, but the running was stupid because I fractured my pelvis, the whole female athlete triad thing. Oh, that was wow. me. Yeah. Okay. So and that's when at 37, when I fractured my pelvis with, you know, osteopenia, um, that's when I decided that I was going to focus on climbing, and I also started doing yoga, which actually became mostly my career at that point. Oh wow. So, um, so yeah, I so at 37, I totally changed my lifestyle. I quit my, you know, more than 40 hour a week management administrative job and started working at a climbing gym and a yoga studio so I could get more time off to go on climbing trips. Um, so I could pay more attention to my broken body and take better care of it. And so, yeah, so there's that. (laughs)
0: That's that's, that's great. So then you didn't, you climbed your first and I I I don't even know how to say this. So is it 5.148 or is it 5.14 A? Or how do you say that like what 514A? 5, 5, so 514A at 44 and 514 B at 49, which I told my friend Samantha she went or bullist like she was just oh, like her funny. head just popped. <laughs> you know? So yeah. um, can so, you explain so those the, designations for us? Yes, that's
2: it's, it's- we use what's called the Yosemite decimal system. So, you know, Nancy's old stomping grounds are very strongly <laughs> involved in this. The five is the class of climbing. So there's, you know, one, two, three, four, five, uh, first class is like walking on level terrain, you know, second class, you might be stepping up and down uh, third class. You're, uh, I don't know, going up Hill fourth class you're scrambling over rocks fifth class if you fall you can die okay so, no. <laughs> and fair. then then yeah. within that within that fifth class designation this it's a decimal five decimal point and then a number so the higher the number the more difficult the terrain becomes um so kind of a moderate like entry level for rock climbing is around like five five or five six which is very easy terrain with big things to hold on to giant things to stand on but you still you know you need to be protected by a rope with anything fifth class unless you're competent you still need to be have rope protection um and then when you get into um like recreational like really uh like recreational climbers but who are very active in it you you get into like 510 and 511 and now 512 probably falls into that category as well when I started climbing 512 was like oh my god I'll never be able to do that professional climbers climb 512 and now like we warm up on 512 (laughs) which is so funny sometimes not always that's awesome um You know, and when you get into um, the 513 and you're, you're more kind of the, you're approaching the elite level, 514 is generally considered elite. And now there's 515, which didn't even exist when we started climbing. And that is considered, you know, like next level. Um, I don't, I don't know the word, whatever would be above elite (laughs) (laughs) um but there are actually now quite a few 515 climbers in the world including some women so there you go that's Um,
0: awesome
2: yeah so so how has
0: your relationship with risk and fear evolved changed um on this sort of later trajectory
2: yeah so i'm i'm a pretty i'm really into self-preservation and i always have like part of the reason that I stopped racing mountain bikes was that to get any faster, I was really going to have to get hurt more often. And I was not into that. Um, the, I, I think that when I first started climbing, I didn't know as much to be afraid. So, um, I was I was kind of stupid sometimes, you know, and I always sport climbed. I've, I've done, um, traditional style climbing, which is where you're placing your protection and then clipping your rope to it just a few times over the years. And I wasn't really excited about it because I felt like I had to step back so far from what I physically could do just so that I would still feel safe doing that kind of climbing. Um, and As a sport climber, I just uh, even maybe starting 10 years ago or so, I kind of decided that if something scared me, I just didn't want to do it. (laughs) I have dealt with fear by basically eliminating (laughs) it. Um, And that's why (laughs) I really like really (laughs) steep overhanging climbing, like climbing in caves is what I Mm. live for. I want to climb parallel to the ground across the roof of a cave. And that's all I really want to do. Because the, when you
1: oh, yeah. go ahead, Nancy. The, the danger in climbing is actually when you reconnect with the rock after you've fallen off. So
0: reconnect yeah. with the rock is a great way of like saying <laughs> so slam. If, and yeah, fall. if you slam in, it's gonna be bad. And right.
1: this cave—it's yeah, scary. The cave climbing when it's overhanging, when you fall, you just hit the end of the rope stretches a little and you bounce a little. And then we have these ways space. that we, yeah, you're in space. You don't get hurt.
0: Oh, that <laughs> sounds nice. Actually. Like, yeah. That sounds Oof. okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's what I do. I mean, there are times I can't avoid like the place that we were this winter. Um, a lot of the climbs were not of that nature. They were much more vertical, um, for me, terrifying. So most of the time there, I was doing what Nancy mentioned earlier, top roping. So mm-hmm. my husband was climbing the route first and he was putting up the rope. And when he came down, instead of pulling it back down for me to go, we left the rope up. And I climbed already protected all the way up at the top, so that if I fell, I wasn't falling from a point above the last point of protection. If that makes sense. I don't know how to describe that without a visual. Um, But yeah, so when we're climbing normally, we clip the rope and then obviously we have to keep climbing above it to get to the next point that we're going to clip the rope in. Um, So with the top rope, I, I don't have to worry about that. I don't have the fear. I can focus on the movement. Um, and my breathing. And what I love about climbing is the movement and the breathing and the, the biofeedback. And honestly, for me, it's, I get the same mind body connection kind of thing that I get with, with yoga to me, it's vertical yoga. Um, yeah. And especially because with the sport climbing that we're doing, we're trying to like Nancy said, we're trying to basically climb these routes perfectly. So we can go from the start to the finish without falling and the movement is rehearsed and, um, it's a lot different from other sports in that respect. I think, uh, there's a lot fewer unknowns in the equation, the further along in the process we get, um,
0: are you specifically going for speed either of you, or is that not part of the equation? No. Okay.
2: Speed is not. So when we're talking about power, we're talking about, um, we are talking about velocity but it's more the the just the fast twitch the the burst and latch kind right. of
0: but you're not trying to get from point power. a to point b in a certain Wait, amount time?
2: of time no it oh. take a really long time actually <laughs> <laughs> but
1: i have to i have to tell maggie that there's, two years ago maggie i was climbing and maggie said you know, I think if you just sped up your movement a little bit, <laughs> it'd be really good because, and her, her thought process was the longer you're hanging on those tiny little holes, the harder it is going to, to gonna be to get to the top without falling off. So she actually told me a couple of years ago, like, it might be helpful if you sped up a little <laughs> But in general, no. In general. <laughs> but
2: that was a... no. <laughs> <laughs> it was the nature of the route. But every route has a rhythm. You know, so right. there's places you want to go fast and then there's places you want to slow down. <laughs> and you don't want to go slow through the hard part.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Fully Generally. understand>. <laughs> <laughs> so which kind of climbing is going to be in the Olympics? Or is it... Is it um... <laughs> Oh, are you upset about this? Did I hit a, a hot no, button? No, I just think <laughs> it's
2: funny and it's horrible. It's terrible for the athletes, honestly. I well, mean, I think. It's a it's an opinion thing. There's some controversy. Okay, that's fine.
0: Because, this is all about opinion. Because,
2: um, in competition climbing, so the Olympics are uh, involved sport climbing, which is what we do.
0: That's but, what I was thought.
2: Yeah, but it's different in that they're on sighting. So we're rehearsing our movement and trying to climb this route perfectly in the Olympics, they're going to walk into this, up to this wall and there are holds on the wall. They get to look at it for a minute or 30 seconds or however long. And then they're tied into the rope and they're supposed to just try to climb this thing without ever having sight unseen,
0: like just go and look at it and go, right.
2: Right. Right. And so on that, there's a time limit, but the actual points value is given by the the highest hold touched before that time expires. Oh, okay. Okay. And then there's also bouldering as part of it. So bouldering, you know, similar, same, same idea, sight unseen, um, but short, shorter, uh, boulder problems with harder, more distilled movement And those, they usually have a time limit. They get to try it more than once, but only for so many minutes. And then whatever they, however high they get, they get and they have to move on to the next one. There's also then speed climbing. So three Mm -hmm. different disciplines and speed climbing, everyone's climbing the same route. It's actually a predetermined route. So speed climbing, most of the time, they can practice on exactly the route that's gonna be there um, and they literally run up that wall. Do well, like they medal for each
0: one or is it cumulative, like figure skating?
2: They're doing it, apparently doing it cumulatively, which is kind of ridiculous to people who climb outside because we would never do all of those things, and especially not over the course of a few days. Or, you, right. know, you, you train. It, it's it's going to be really hard to train for this Olympics. Um, those disciplines call for very different things.
1: Yeah, so. I, th- I think as, as this isn't a great analogy, but if you think of maybe running and you think of what if the Olympics had a medal for the people, if you were a runner, you did a 100-meter sprint, a 5K, and a marathon, and then the, the winner of those with some weird combined set of points was the best runner. That's
2: Or hurdles. You could or- throw hurdles or- in. Yeah, like
1: yeah, hurdles would be the speed climbing. But yes, <laughs> but I think part of the problem is that the only part of the sport of the climbing that's interesting as a spectator is well the speed climbing is interesting and the bouldering is pretty interesting because people fall off on the pads and that's fun but the part that's exciting it's exciting but for the audience the sport climbing that we do is fairly boring to watch it's not interesting so i think (laughs) the olympic committee just made this decision like well we're going to make please the audience with those two formats the speed climbing and the bouldering and we're going to please the climbers with the roped climbing aspect that's my thought yeah yeah
2: Yeah, it's just interesting yeah in the
1: the perfect world it'll the the climbing event in the olympics will go over really well and then in the future it will be changed into three different disciplines with three different medals
0: yeah excellent So let's 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 move gears a little bit and talk a bit about um, about balancing acts and and Maggie I think you've you've addressed this pretty well yourself like how you've balanced your life by just saying Sayonara like I don't (laughs) I have
2: no concept of balance it's not my fault I have a
0: partner that's that's totally fine Um, but Nancy you you have a teenager I know what that's like. how and presumably other things that demand your time and attention so I imagine the sport demands a certain level of consistency to do it well and to enjoy it right so so how do you balance that
1: uh, a few different ways I balance it I I have a really supportive husband um he's he's like my, my number one cheerleader my son is supportive of my climbing and then I'm I'm a really good time manager. I I have my calendar pretty much every month at the end I'll go through my my monthly calendar and I'll plan my workouts for a month ahead. And I don't have a coach, but I I know I have a lot of history with training and I I know exactly what I need to do. And so I'll I'll pencil in all sorts of workouts and what I should do. And then, you know, I, I just I I manage my time. And then, mm-hmm. you know, if I get to a week where, okay, I'm not sleeping much. I, I, I don't really move on to my next workout until like I've, you know, I have like, if I'm going to do a weight training workout, I'll, 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 I'll do that workout. But let's say, Oh, I look, Oh, I didn't sleep last night. It was scheduled for today. Well, I'll, I'll move that over to Sunday and do it then. So I, I think that's a part of how I do it. I, I do train a lot. I climb Right now, it's winter season, so I climb twice a week in the gym with ropes. And then a third day, I'll do the bouldering and a, sh- a shorter workout. And then and I, I put in some other weight workout here and there for antagonistic muscles and some core workouts. But yeah, it's time consuming, but I love it. You should well, yeah. know <laughs>
2: that, yeah, you should know, though, that my husband calls Nancy and her climbing partner, Carla, the Energizer Bunnies. <laughs> Like she's (laughs) actually like, no one would ever know that this woman is capable of feeling low energy. (laughs) She does so much in a day at, on a climbing day that I'm just like, I mean, we're climbing on the same route and I'll do two tries and she'll do five. I'm like, how, how did she do that? But she's just an athlete, (laughs) like a true athlete. (laughs) That's the conclusion that I've come to.
0: How long are the climbing routes? I mean, I know that's a very huge question, but like on average, like how long is, is, a, is a route?
1: When we warm up, I think the route probably only, it takes three or four minutes, maybe five minutes to do a route. But then our project routes, when we're on our, we call it a red point goes and we, we have it all dialed in, all rehearsed, maybe 20 minutes.
0: I mean, you keep using that term project route. What does yeah. that mean?
1: Um, so, project route <laughs> pointing at each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, they both pointed at one another. Yes.
1: <laughs> so, so, I typically, people are just different about what they like to do. But typically nowadays, I will choose one to two or maybe even three different climbs for a whole season that I will rehearse and work on. And in the last three years, they've been 514s, which I've been really psyched about because that is that number was a big barrier for me. But so a project is just that climb that I'll spend my, my, almost my whole season on.
0: And the goal is to complete it.
1: The goal is to complete it without falling.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That's what I was. And you used the word that started with red (laughs) something, red some, like what (laughs) somebody said something (laughs) about red, red point. Yeah. (laughs) What is that?
2: Yeah. That's, that's going from the ground to the end of the route without falling or without your waiting the rope essentially. So you're basically free climbing it and the rope is just there for protection. So on the when we're when she says we're working on a project, we're stopping along the way. You're hanging on the rope, and your belayer, who's the person on the ground holding the rope, is holding you there in the air. Or sometimes we'll take a, a quick draw and clip ourselves in direct, so so they they can have a break. Um, but and we're we're hanging and working out sequences and trying things multiple times, different ways to to find the easiest way for each each of us to do it, um, and then. The red point is when all that finally comes together and you're able to do it without stopping, without falling basically along the way or, or telling your belayer to take the slack out of the rope and hold you.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Makes sense.
2: Yeah. And these routes, when you asked about how long they are, um, Nancy told you in terms of time, in terms of length, they're usually anywhere from like 60 to 110, 115 feet long. Okay. Okay.
0: So, distance gotcha. wise. yeah yeah I, I mean I have I've only climbed like literally twice in my life and you know <laughs> on actual rocks I've been to a, a gym uh awesome. <laughs> also like three times yeah it's just I don't have the opportunity it's not my sport <laughs> you know I mean that's the that's the easiest way to yeah no
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but well, I I rode a bike yeah. um oh <laughs> for the first time in 10 years. So there you go. <laughs> well, there you have
0: it. How was it?
2: <laughs> yeah. It was, my legs were like super rubbery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So, so I wanted to um segue into just a couple of, of larger thoughts. Cause you both, you're, you're both pretty thoughtful and, and have, you know, in reading about you, I came across some statements that I thought were really interesting And Nancy, one of the ones I liked out of, and I don't remember what this was from, it might've been from that Christian Science Monitor piece was, uh, what do you learn from yourself when you're out climbing? And you said, sometimes good things, sometimes bad, you expose yourself and it's not always pretty. Um, What did you mean by that? And do you still think that? (laughs) I loved
2: that when I read
0: it. (laughs)
1: Um, Well, I just think that when you get really scared, and I used to do a lot more mountaineering and ice climbing and you're with your partner and you sort of feel like you're gonna die. Like you don't always say the nicest things and you don't know <laughs> it. you make some weird, you know, you, you 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 just expose your really vulnerable bear survival side. And it's just doesn't know, it's just not always nice. It's just. Um,
0: Do you have to reconcile that when you're off the wall?
1: Oh, totally, yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that person that was there. And the I mean, I don't think like I've ever, their, you know, it's not like I've ever told anybody, like, you coffee. should die and okay. I shouldn't.
1: But, <laughs> no, just, you know, just, just surviving, you know, just like sometimes, you know, you have accidents. Like, you know, you have, yeah, your bowels don't work at the right time. And sometimes it's not pretty that way. You know, I've definitely...
0: <laughs> that's not pretty yeah, correct.
2: That's, <laughs> that's- there you go oh. do I need to say anymore no.
1: <laughs> and that's why we love
2: sport climbing <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know another actually kind of a funny thing is that when you're so talking about like you're trying so hard when you're sport climbing, sometimes people will be going up the climb and they'll be making these sounds that like, sounds like someone's in the bedroom having sex and everybody yeah. at the crag starts looking at, at each other. Like, Oh my God, what is that? What's going on up there? And it it's really funny. <laughs> it just exposes like this whole nother layer. They're trying as hard as they can, or, you know, I'm trying. And then all of a sudden these sounds come out that are just guttural or sexual, or it's it's pretty funny. Very primal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I could totally see that. Yeah. I mean, while we're just being so open, I mean, but also like having to pee is a thing at this point of life too, right? Do you have like, yeah, Maggie, right? I mean, it's a thing.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm like a mega, I'm a super peer. <laughs> and so be, before I get on a route, I literally go pee like three times because I'm so afraid I'm going to get halfway up and have to go. It's a nightmare.
0: Do you, do you pee on the wall ever? Like, no, no. Pee on the bike? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, you know, I used to be a triathlete. Like we, you know, you just, pee oh yeah, yeah. Pee. No, it's not like that.
2: You're like, you can't, you can't,
0: you can't, you relax just can't. Enough to just Plus there's
2: pee. people everywhere. I mean, <laughs> this is like, it's basically, no, well, it's, so you've been to a gym and there were like people climbing around you, right? That's like the equivalent of what it's like climbing outside there's still people climbing around you if you're going somewhere popular right so you you can't be like sprinklers coming everybody
0: (laughs) you might want to die no (laughs) no I mean yeah so so let's then pivot to you know I I found some some quotes from you too uh Maggie that I really liked and it was they seem to be more about self-belief or self-efficacy, like believing like what you could do, you know, I mean, um, you know, instead of wishing you could climb something, wonder if you can, you know, like, can you talk a little bit about that? Like how you, is that, is that something that you, that you do to sort of push your boundaries?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, like basically the totality of my experience, rock climbing has been about like surmounting self-imposed limitations um because we're not you know you can compete in rock climbing not many people our age ever do anymore um because we're basically going testing our own abilities to see if we can attain a certain level of difficulty or climb a certain climb just because it's it the climb itself is inspiring to us which is i think most of the time, how the two of us are approaching it. Um, it's really easy to look at the number, the grade level that's associated with a route and think, oh, that's too hard for me. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, that's above my pay grade. And someone said that actually earlier this week, and I shot her down instantly. I was just like, don't ever, ever, ever say that again. It doesn't, it, besides not making any sense we're not getting paid to climb you know you might get some gear or whatever but that's about mm-hmm. it. it um it's so it's like the, the old Nietzsche quote argue for your limitations and they're yours you know if you say you can't then you can't and mm-hmm. what's the point of that um i want to know what i'm capable of i want to find out and i know that it's going to mean dejection Failure at some point, and and that's okay. I mean, it's just rock climbing. Number one and number two, it's the process. It's not, it's it's not the outcome. Um, It's when we start uh, climbing, especially you see it it, uh, every day that you're out at the crag. When people start really thinking about the outcome and letting that be their focus, they're bound to fail most of the time. Very few climbers can operate with that kind of self. Induced pressure. Um, Nancy actually happens to be someone who does really well under pressure. <laughs> and and um, if you tell her she's got two days left in the season before the weather turns, she'll go send her project into it. <laughs> um, but, Do you have things
0: to add, Nancy, to that?
1: Oh, definitely. I, I, one of my favorite poems um, is "The Man in the Arena" by Theodore Roosevelt, and it, and it, it's all about daring to fail greatly i mean Mm -hmm. it's you know you have to try if you don't try like what's what's it all about and so it is scary sometimes to put yourself out there and try hard things but it's so much better to try and fail than it is to not try
2: yeah and and, and the thing yeah and the thing we always say about sport climbing and climbing most climbing in general is that it's 99% failure. You spend most of your time failing until that one time that everything comes together, the mental, the spiritual, emotional aspects come together. And it's like, Oh, I did that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So so to finish, cause I'm curious, and it's not really a menopause related question, but you know, you are both in a, what is still, I think, pretty much a male dominated sport. Um, you know, maybe that's changing some, how has that changed or not changed being a woman in this sport during your careers?
1: Well, for me, since I've been climbing 40 years, it's changed significantly and it's just so fun and fabulous to go to a climbing area and have it be half women, or maybe sometimes nowadays it's even more women than men and, and it's just a, obviously a different energy, but it's also nice because I'm only five foot two and the way I do a climb, like the way I do moves on a climb is more similar to the way Maggie, who's five foot two, will do a climb. And it, it used to be like when my boyfriend who was six foot tall and he's the person I climbed with it, he's like, well, reach that, reach the hold. And I couldn't reach the hold. So it, it's just so fun to have the female energy at the climbing areas and not, not only the energy, but just the size of the similar size. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Yeah, for sure. And also, um, I mean, I've been climbing for 22 years and it's definitely, I mean, when I started climbing, I actually did compete a little bit and Nancy did you compete? Oh yeah. You did. I, I competed yeah, yeah, in the you 90s I, I went to Europe and did
1: world cups and Yeah. 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 And, that and was, I was
2: competing. Yeah. Yeah, no. For Go me
1: ahead. it was incredible. So I I started climbing in 1979 and and I climbed almost a decade and then I there were the first few climbing competitions in the US and it was so incredible to meet other women at the top of their game like Lynn Hill and Robin Ebersfield and Alison yeah. Osius and Bobby the golden age It was, and Margarita, one of the women we still climb with. Uh-huh. Um, but it was just so great to have people that were so similar to me and trying hard and just breaking all these barriers to, to, to meet them because I hadn't climbed with other women really until then.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And for me, when I, when I started competing, well, when I first started climbing, I did a few competitions and it was the early 2000s. And even by then there was maybe three of us and, you know, 30 guys. Um, and now in climbing gyms around the country, climbing teams are equally divided between male and female competitors. Okay. Um it's And and now women have climbed almost as hard as men. Um, that's one thing about the sport. It's a strength to weight, weight ratio sport. And generally men weigh more than women. So mm-hmm. they don't have as much of an advantage physiologically as they might in some other sports. There still is that power aspect that's a little hard to, it's hard to bridge that gap. Um, but, but also because it's the strength to ratio, weight ra- ugh, strength to weight ratio thing, but combined with a huge amount of a technical aspect, a lot of times women will excel on the technical side of things, <laughs> and, and we can make up a lot of ground that way. Um, so I think that the point of what I'm trying to get to is that um, men these days tend to have a lot more respect for women climbing than they did um a long time ago mm-hmm. because that gap has the gender gap is lessened. Um uh, so you'll see a lot more guys asking women their advice for what they do on a particular climb. Um you'll see men and women working the same rock climb together more often than you used to. I mean you you still have the the girlfriend who <laughs> comes out and get you know, it spends her whole day on the warm up and um, and I just and, and I just keep thinking, oh, I can't wait to come out here three years from now and see her trying something really hard, you know. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it's. it's change and I agree with Nancy about that the energy like having the female energy when I see someone coming up a trail and I see that it's a woman I get kind of excited I'm like yay
0: <laughs> yeah no. so, mountain biking has been kind yeah. of the same a lot a lot of sports have been kind of the same like it's it's great to see and I think I thank yeah. you both because I I think that this you know a lot of women that I hear from get to this point and they start you know experiencing some of all this stuff that we've talked about and they think maybe i'm done and you have you both have just really clearly illustrated that you don't you don't need to be done
2: no way yeah
1: <laughs> no way you don't need- no. <laughs> no, you
2: absolutely not <laughs> we've
0: You're got like fans. i'm just getting started
1: <laughs> oh yeah there's more to be done yeah, yeah. for sure more rocks to climb to climb
0: Okay. That's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with Stacey Kazanchuk, who is the director of health coaching at Genev, which is an online resource for medical menopausal support. We have a really great conversation about gut health and what it means for your overall health and performance. You won't want to miss this one. That is all for now. Until next week, as always, stay feisty you've been listening to hit play not pause a feisty menopause podcast for active performance minded women i'm your host celine yeager the show is edited and produced by the strong talented and amazing women at live feisty media follow us on social media at feisty menopause and please help us spread the word screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at feisty menopause share the show with your friends and please subscribe like review and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find thanks for listening and as always stay feisty